Whoa, you like to think that you're immune to the stuff, oh yeah. It's closer to the truth to say you can't get enough. You know you're gonna have to face it, you're addicted to love. Hello, and welcome to Addicted to Romance. Like many women, I read an, abs I read an absolute fuckton of romance novels. I love reading about a good meet-cute, the thrill of a new romance, and getting a happily ever after in 500 pages or less. Did you know that Americans paid over a billion dollars in 2018 to read about happy couples getting theirs? And that is likely a complete underestimate of how much media is consumed when you think about online hosting platforms such as fanfiction.net or an archive of our own. So I'm your host, Amy, and I read romance novels and compare them to modern mores while life burns down around me. The world is such a weird and confusing place right now. Have you put together your plan for the inevitable collapse of society? Personally, my plan is to move out into the woods and forage for berries. I'll live in the woods and retire when a bear eats me after a deathmatch over salmon. Who says you shouldn't feed the local wildlife? Until then, here is a 30-minute break from real life with Demon Angel by Mel Jean Brooke, published by Penguin Books under the Berkeley Sensations line. Berkeley is advertised as, quote, known for being at the forefront of trends. Berkeley continues to develop authors and acquire books on the cutting edge of genre fiction, end quote. Now, what kind of trends are we talking about, Berkeley? Because I'm not quite sure that the trends in this book are the trends that need to be out there as a good thing. This book is the debut novel of Mel Jean Brooks, and if you're going to run a demonic race, I mean, why not start right out of the gate with one of the big dogs, Lilith, Adam's first wife, and first person to give the patriarchy a good wallop upside the head. The front cover has the following quote. I've never read anything like this ellipses. Brilliant. Brilliant does not have an exclamation point, I want to point out. Um, also, I know what ellipses mean. Ellipses means that they cut something out. So, what was cut out from this quote, and why was the quote giver not excited enough to include an exclamation point? Why can't we ever get the whole quote? I've never read anything like this, doesn't sound encouraging, it sounds ominous. Also, no, it's not the original Lilith, by the way. I know you all were looking forward to it like I was. Uh, from the blurb on the back of the book. For 2,000 years, Lilith wrought vengeance upon the evil and the damned, gathering souls for her father's armies below and proving her fealty to her underworld liege. Half demon, half human, Bound by a bargain with the devil and forbidden to feel pleasure, she draws upon her dark powers and serpentine grace to lead men into temptation. That is, until she faces her own greatest temptation, heaven's own Sir Hugh Castleford. Once a knight, and now a guardian, Hugh spent centuries battling demons and the cursed, blood-drinking Nosferatu. His purpose has always been to thwart the demon Lilith even as he battles his treacherous hunger for her. But when a deadly alliance unleashes a threat to both humans and guardians in modern-day San Francisco, angel and demon must fight together against unholy evil, 
and against a desire that has been too long denied. Alright, so, Sir Hugh Castleford, why is he a sir? Does heaven follow the titling conventions of English knighthood? Did he keep his title when he became an angel, or was he created an angel and received a title? I have so many questions. Um, for now, let's just say that A, we can assume that the Nosferatu are a part of the Unholy Alliance, since the blurb made a point of mentioning them. And B, I find the title a little bit misleading, as I was expecting at least one character to be a demon-angel, and not a demon character and an angel character. Now, before we get into the book, I do want to mention some content warnings that will come up in this episode. There are content warnings for discussion of grooming of a minor, violence, murder, me cussing a lot, and sexual assault. Although, let's be real, I cuss a lot anyway. <laughs> the discussion of sexual assault, though, it'll come with a warning and a timestamp so that you can skip ahead. Everything else is very discussed on a very generic surface level. What a lighthearted book, you guys! We start off in the 1600s, which for some reason we like to call the 17th century, um, because nothing can ever be simple. <laughs> um, the first impression that I get is Sir Hugh Mann, not his real name, is a 17-year-old knight who obsesses about the chivalric code. I also kind of get the feeling that if he lived in today's times, we'd be calling him an incel. He's escorting this 15-year-old or 16-year-old or something countess who he has a major crush on. But, you know, since he's so pure and whole and she's so innocent, he's not going to do anything. Well, while he's escorting her, he runs across, across Lilith and rudely interrupts this BDSM scene that she's running. And meanwhile, Lilith is 1,200 years old, as opposed to Hugh's, six, Hugh's 17, and that right there is a giant red flag. Lilith is described as being broad-beamed and flat-featured like an ill-natured cow. Well, I could do without the cow reference, still Hugh is attracted to her, which I think really proves that you can have characters in romance novels who aren't conventionally attractive or and still, you know, have a decent and valid relationship and be able to describe the feelings between the characters. But of course she is a fucking beauty because we can't have that um, unless you're a 10 and you're fucking another 10 you don't deserve love that's what romance novels have taught me i in case you can't tell i really hate that ideology and it just enforces that if you're not perfectly pretty you don't deserve love and you can just QQ and fuck off, motherfuckers. So, meanwhile, Hugh's mentor is the Archangel Michael. Except he's not the Archangel, he's just some dude with wings. And a flaming sword. Who commands a heavenly legion. But he's, uh, meanwhile, spending his time hanging around training the wee Huey. And also, not killing Lilith. Which... For some reason, he has a soft spot for her, but it is never explained why. I mean, I know why. It's because if he didn't have this soft spot for her, he'd completely murderize her on the spot, and then the book would be over. But instead, 
Well, wait, 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 wait. So Lilith has lived for over a thousand years. Michael has lived for over a thousand years. Why couldn't we have Lilith and Michael only have Lilith be the original Lilith and not this knockoff Lilith so that we would have two, an actual angel and an actual demon in a frankly kick-ass sounding romance together because Michael be like all stuffy and stuff and Lilith would be out there kicking ass and taking names and not having to have all this angst over being evil, etc, 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 that we're going to get later on in the book to be continued. But in the meantime, somebody needs to get out there and write that and then let me read it so I can wash my palette of all this. Well, Hugh and Lilith, they sit down and they get to know each other and Lilith starts out trying to tempt Hugh into violating his chivalric code and actually wooing the countess but it quickly evolves devolves into her ranting about humanity's free will and how demons are basically committed to doing evil even if they don't want to so you know it goes about as well as your average awkward tinder date and then we get to later and blah 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 Lilith is tempting Hugh and trying to get him to you know romance the countess and violate his civil code and all this other stuff and later she reveals her demon self where she and Hugh have yet another conversation about free will which she talks a lot about the fall and then drops this huge bomb which is that the neutral angels who didn't pick a side are now Nosferatu, these hulking, evil, ugly bloodsuckers. I'm not sure. I mean, let's not get into the whole angels and demons and Nosferatu having any free will, um, because honestly, that kind of thing gives me a monster headache. I don't deal well with philosophy at all. If you gave me a trolley and two train tracks, I'd be standing there flipping coins. I'm personally more confused, though, by the fact that Nosferatu are somehow different from vampires, but related. But I don't know how they're different or related because it's not really explained at all. Yet another thing that's just happens, and is there's some vague statements about it, but it's not really explained. We do get to meet a vampire later on down the line, and that's it. He's a vampire. That's all we know. Hugh and Lilith created him somehow, but we don't know how or why, because it's not fucking explained. On the one hand, I kind of like him because he sounds like Oscar Wilde, if Oscar Wilde was a vampire, which, let's be honest, maybe he was, maybe Dorian Gray was an actual real-life thing, and Oscar Wilde's still chill out there, chilling, being flamboyant and writing, giving us false quotes on the internet. Oscar Wilde invented the internet. But this vampire version of Oscar Wilde, he can't be gay, because if he was, then we wouldn't have a sequel. Which, I don't know, Berkeley. maybe we should publish a romance novel between men once in a while. Or women. Or non-binary people. They need their loving too. You know, there's a whole spectrum. Way to be on the forefront of trends, Berkeley Publishing. I get that writers want to write novels based on their own sexual preferences. I'm just wondering where all our bi-writers at. 
you know, maybe then we could get a little bit of variety in the relationships when an author is writing 17 million sequels using the same small clique of characters. But I digress. So let's skip to the modern day where he was killed Lilith and the book is over and we're done. <gasps> Yay! No, he killed Lilith. That part I didn't lie about. But we're on page 125 out of 412 pages left. And I keep looking at the page numbers in the reader's version of the Are We There Yet? So now Hugh is actually a professor and he's, he's teaching stuff at a university. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. He's angsting about Lilith. That's what I know. He killed Lilith and he's angsting over it and he has nightmares and PTSD that he refuses to seek counseling over and he's human now and he goes for runs and works out a lot. And that's what I know. I also know he refuses to seek therapy, which I guess uh, being a guardian for 1800 or for 800 years didn't leave him with much of a retirement package if he can't afford a therapy and has to get a job after freaking 800 years. I don't know, if I paid into my TSP for 800 years, I'd be living pretty high on the hog for my retirement. And I'd, he's not even immortal now. Or quasi-immortal. You know, he ages like a normal human being. And that was 16 years ago that he um, turned into a human. So he's 33 now, which makes the romance a little bit more palatable. At least the author is not writing a treatise on how we should be accepting a relationship between a 17-year-old and a 12,000-year-old, as long as the 17-year-old is a young man in a relationship with an older woman. So apparently society accepts that. Again, another digression. <laughs> Hugh is going on like his 17th run of the day when he stumbles over a dead body. And of course, Lilith is standing over it. Lilith, by the way, being an FBI agent, she's standing over it thinking about how there was some ritual that's done that is effectively the same ritual that created her because Lilith is actually half human, half demon. And now she's getting freaked out that what should have created another half human, half human, half demon actually just created a dead human. When Hugh finds out that Lilith is still alive, he pretty much shows all the emotion of a dry horse. I mean, all right, look, look, just work with me here on the analogies. They can't all be winners. That ends up being a trend throughout the book. Hugh and Lilith are both such experts at suppressing their emotions that not even we, the reader, can tell how they feel. But now that Hugh has fallen, and now that he's a human, doesn't that mean that the name of the book is kind of a misnomer? Shouldn't it technically be Demon Human? Or Demon Once Angel? Demon not actually an angel, but now fully human again? I mean, the angel part of this title is like Monty Python's Sir not actually appearing in this film. The reason that Hugh killed Lilith is because he'd given up on reforming her and then turned himself into a human. So he and Lilith have been living all of these years, having direct contact with humanity, yet they still choose to speak in this faux-ye-old grammar style that makes everything so much harder to read. It makes no sense, and I can't believe that an editor didn't point at this and say, you know, yo, if you changed this, that would make it so much better. There are a lot of places where the editor should have stepped in and said, yeah, how about we discuss some changes to the flow of this shit to make it easier for the reader? Nope, nope, fuck the reader, I guess. Fuck it. 
And we're halfway through the book now, so I guess time to celebrate, because now we're gonna get into the sexual assault part of the book. If you need to skip ahead, go ahead and move to the timestamp of 20 minutes and 5 seconds. Okay, for those of you still following along, this part made me so fucking bad, and it really just ejected me right out of the book. For some reason, for some godforsaken reason, Hugh has Lilith pinned up against a wall and is telling her that she needs to tell him no while he goes ahead and fucking assaults her. There are so many problems with this, so let's go ahead and start from the beginning. 1. It's from Hugh's point of view, and all we get is him feeling sorry that he has to do this to her. No! You don't have to do that to her. You don't have to do fucking anything. You could use your words and talk things out instead of doing this for some completely vaguely defined and unknown reason, you fucking cockwaffle. Two. Again, this reason that he, the reason that he feels that he needs to do this is completely undefined. And it was lost in the utter refusal of anyone to talk about things or feel things like normal fucking humans. Three. I have no idea why Lilith ha is putting up with this, but because her body is lubricating, that makes it all okay. Someone needs a real long lesson in consent. No, 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 and shame on you. Shame on you for writing this. Shame on the editor for keeping it in. Shame on the publisher for publishing it. You're all the wrongest people that ever wronged in the all the wrong, wrong, wrong world. Three? Or no, we're on four now. We're on four. Four. Lilith is in her demon form, and she's got nipples that are sharp enough to cut Hugh. But when he asks about her vagina, she tells them that it's full of teeth. Me, while reading this, I hope so. I really hope there's a case of vagina dentata sharp enough to cup cut his whole fucking hand off and I was sadly disappointed because he ignores her and just shoves his finger right in there but then again because he brings her to climax it's okay five after he fingers her there's PIV sex and let's not faff about people this entire thing has been rape capitals R-A-I-P-E is that the kind of trend you're at the forefront of Berkeley sensations are we going retro and returning to the age of bodice rippers? I mean, if I could be joke about it for a second, I thought that retro was only popular if you went 20 years or so back. Like, how late 90s, early aughts stuff is popular now. I didn't know that we were going all the way back to the 70s with the Fabio covers and the poorly disguised rape six. I'm joking around now, but I am fucking furious that multiple people read the scene and thought it was a good idea to keep it in this book. 7. Later on, Lilith tells Hugh that, quote, if I'd been any other woman, what you did might have been unforgivable, end quote. Again, no! No! No times infinity! No to the end of space and beyond! No to the restaurant at the end of the universe! It is still unforgivable! Or is it supposed to be okay because he was angsting over it? Why is he angsting over it when he should not have done it in the first place? Throughout, the problem is not the end. The problem is at the very beginning. This entire scene 
did not need to be in the book. There was no point for it. No point except it was expected to be considered sexy. And all it did was make me massively uncomfortable for having read it in the first place. Okay. <sighs> Zen. Zen. Think of Zen calm things. Think of, think of petting kittens. An entire mattress full of kittens. Just kittens everywhere. Total kitten party. Or puppy party. If puppy parties are your thing. Puppy therapy. That's that's what we need. We just need puppy therapy. And breathe in. And breathe out. And we're calm. And we're calm. And we'll never be calm again, but we can disguise it under a thin veneer of zen. Now, I realized that as I was talking earlier and trying to summarize the plot, I had several digressions. So now I'll do my best to do a recap of the highlights. And I shall do so through, dun dun dun, the dramatic reenactment. Someday I'll get voice actors to read the scripts. Until now, no more of that audio manipulation jazz. That was just creepy as all hell. We shall start from the beginning, and when we reach the end, we shall stop. Hugh. Well, it's 1600 and something, and I am a knight at the age of 17. I am massively insecure, but somehow otherwise I have the emotional maturity of an adult. Lilith. I'm going to seduce you now. I'm also massively insecure. Hugh. I can't tell, but I don't want to make any effort because obviously demons don't have emotions. Lilith. I'm half human, but okay. Let me try to trap you in a fake assignation with your crush, a married countess. Hugh. Behold, I am trapped being overly violent with her because I thought she was you. Let me be stabbed by her husband, my benefactor. Ah! Michael. I shall turn you into a half-angel while ignoring the half-demon beside me. By the way, Hugh, she's half-human and there's probably a way to save her. Hugh. Now we're time-skipping until we get to the modern day. I get progressively more apathetic towards humanity in general, while I'm tell Lilith I'm going to find a way to save her. Lilith. You can't do that. It's literally impossible. I also don't know why you would want to do that, since you do such a great job of hiding your emotions and your attraction to me. Uh, altruism, I guess? Hugh. It seems the only way to save you is to kill you. Lilith. <coughs> Lucifer. Yeah, no. I'm gonna take away some of your powers as punishment for being nearly killed by a half-angel. Then I'm going to place you in the FBI for some unexplained reason. Hugh. Meanwhile, I'm going to be turned into a full human again and lose my angel powers so I can angst all over the place. Part of that angst will be a book written in Latin about Lilith and my love for her. Savi. I'm a random human woman who Hugh rescued at some point and I live in his garage. I'm going to use Babblefish to create a poor translation of Hugh's book that apparently reads like My Immortal by Ebony Darkness Dementia Raven Way. I'm also going to use it to develop a collectible card game and a video game. Hugh. Cool. I'm going to work as a professor because apparently I have no post-angel retirement plan and teaching ancient languages is my only marketable skill set. Lilith. Oh no, here is a dead body. And here is Hugh, who still apparently feels nothing for me. Hugh. 
oh no, here is the dead body of my student, and here is Lilith, who apparently feels nothing for me. Probably because I killed her. Detectives. Hugh, you're our main suspect in the murder of your students, plural. Hugh. I don't care. I'm going to make it my mission to fuck Lilith. Lilith. I'm <sighs> not so sure about that one. I still think you don't have feelings for me, and I'm not about that. I also don't want to care for you, because Lucifer says I'll have to kill you at some point in time. Lucifer. Mm, probably. I have some vaguely defined plan that has to do with getting into the magic not-heaven place where all the half-angels hang out. Plus, since demons can't directly kill humans for some reason, I'm going to power up the Nosferatu so they can do it. The Nosferatu. I have no idea why we have these limitations and aren't as powerful as modern-day angels or demons, because, you know, we're angels. Everyone else, just shut up and be the thugs of the book. Hugh and Lilith. We've figured out Lucifer's plot, but we have to protect our friends. Lilith. Also, I have a hellhound. Lucifer. My plan demands that you kill Hugh for some overly convoluted reason. Colin the Vampire. I'm here for no reason except to open up the possibility to be a main character in the next book. Savvy. I automatically love you because I'm also set up to be a main character in the next book. Colin and Savvy. And now we shall basically disappear from the book until the triumphant end. Action scenes happen. Hugh and Lilith. We are triumphant! Also, even though it took all the way till the end of the book, we have realized that the other person actually has feelings for us. Lucifer. Ah, shit. Lilith. Now I'm going to stay with the FBI and create what is basically the X-Files unit. And I'm human now. The rule of storytelling in this book seems to be that the angst is the most important and onlyest emotion. Everyone and everything is full of angst, even the fucking trees. The suspension of disbelief was so hard for me that I spent most of my time watching the page numbers go by like mile markers on a cross-country road trip. This book was so tough to get through, it was like chewing an undercooked piece of chuck roast when I usually swallow these books down like mashed potatoes. Seriously, I eat these books to gain their strength. Now, it hasn't been working with this one, but suddenly I've recently acquired an ability to vaguely hint that I might feel feelings about a thing at some point in time. I mean, everything was so vague that I had no idea what the characters' motivations were. Not when it came to the plot, and especially not when it came to building the relationship between Hugh and Lori. I'm, I'm sorry, Hugh and Lilith. I understand wanting to keep a surprise secret and do foreshadowing. When it affects the writing to this point, it's not foreshadowing anymore. It's just painful to the reader. Now, a slight change in this episode. The rating system wasn't really working for me, so that's getting thrown out the window like the trash it was. Trash, I tell you, trash! Instead, I wanted to focus more on discussing problematic events like this when they occur, and also questioning why those events managed to stay in the book after what should be multiple levels of review through, especially when it comes to a major publishing house. So with that being said, this was Demon Angel, the first of many books by this author, but probably the last one I'll be reading. Thanks for sticking with me, folks.
I've got a Twitter now. Check me out at AddictedToRoma1 because Twitter said I had too many characters in my name. That's at AddictedToRoma1. This has been another episode of Addicted to Romance. I've enjoyed expressing my insecurities into the void. I'm just waiting to see if the void is in network for my insurance. Stay safe and healthy out there, you guys. I want your drama. The touch of your hand. I want your leather-studded kiss in the sand. I want your love. Love, love, love. I want your love. Love, love, love. I want your love.